following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Remain standing, if you would, as you open your Bibles to the book of Obadiah. Obadiah, the only chapter. When last we looked, we found ourselves in verses 1 through 9. And uh, God, through Obadiah, puts his finger directly on the issue uh, with Edom. Their main problem was a problem of pride. And last week, we looked really closely at this. We noted how pride deceives and makes idolaters of us all. But today, we're coming to a little bit more specificity in how their pride was revealed. And so look with me, if you would, Obadiah chapter number 1, and we're going to read in verses 10 through 14. It says, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly In the day of distress, thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their substance in the day uh, in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. Thank you. You may be seated. Here in Obadiah, we have made our way through and we gave a a complete overview on our first week. Uh, And now here we find ourselves um, uh, in the midst of the chapter. And really, it kind of breaks itself up into three, possibly four uh, different portions uh, we're going to spend one more week in the book of Obadiah unless God directs otherwise. Um, but here what we find is the outcome of pride. So we talked about pride at, at, at length last week, the first nine verses really kind of being that um, uh, that springboard for us to jump off this week. But herein we find the outcome of prime uh, of pride and how it subtly infects and gives way to other sins. Now we're looking this morning specifically at the violence done against a brother, but 
the pride is, this is why pride is something that we must so vehemently fight against. We have to take the time to really root it out of our lives. And this is not a one-time occurrence. You know, this is something that we really need to focus in on day after day after day after day. Whenever I find myself um, in certain situations, especially if it's something along the lines of offense. I was uh, talking with a group of kids not too long ago. They were upset. This, these people won't let us play, and these people, are uh, we don't want them, and this, that, and the other. And so I was talking with the kids because they wanted me to come out there and lay the law down, right? That's what we adults are supposed to do. We're supposed to come out, lay the law down. You let them play. You do that. And that's what, that's what they're looking for. And so I, I, I just simply asked them, I said, guys, let's remember something. Whenever we become offended or whenever we get our feelings hurt, it's because I'm only thinking of myself in the moment. And so let's start there. You're like, well, you should have gone out and told those kids to let them play. Well, next time you're the one that the kids come to, then you can take care of it how you see fit. I'm going to handle it biblically. And what I tried to do is I tried to instruct the kids that we need to think beyond this moment. Let's get ourselves past this. This is what pride does. Pride gets us to focus in on that very instant, that moment where things don't go the way I think they ought to go, or people have what I want to have. It's all about me. Think about the guy that gets passed over uh, for um, uh, for a promotion at work. Here he is. He's been working. He's been working tail off and uh, it's it's uh, the a new job comes available and he puts in for this promotion and somebody else gets the job who isn't as qualified as he is who isn't as smart as he is who isn't as uh, as pretty as she is or who you know whatever it may be well they only picked her because she's a woman they only picked him because he's a man they only no, stop <laughs> that's pride talking I've been in situations where I have been given uh, something a little bit extra, and I know, listen to me, I'm pastor of this church, and I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's a whole lot more people more qualified, a whole lot better than I am. We need to get those things out of the way. And understand that I will never have a right relationship with others so long as I allow pride to remain unchecked in my life. I'll never have a good relationship with others. When I allow it to go unaddressed, I will not love my wife the way I should. When I allow pride to go unchecked, a wife will not show respect to her husband the way she ought. Gossip will run rampant. Employers will not value their employees, and employees will take advantage and lie to their employers. Hatred, dissension, wars, and the like, all will come in until I learn, as Philippians 2, 3 tells us, to think of others better than myself. Pride is an evil force. And you turn the television on, for five seconds, and everybody is all about pride. Pride this, pride that. We want to celebrate this kind of pride and that kind of pride. And the Bible tells us, do away with pride. Banish it. So here we find ourselves looking at a little more specific 
uh, offense. Notice what it says there in verse number 10 again. It says, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. For the violence against thy brother here in verse number 10. We're, I'm, I'm going to try to do this uh, this morning a little more exposition. There's going to be a little bit more of a history lesson into who, uh, who we're actually talking about here. Uh, but for the violence against thy brother, when we when we went through the overview, I gave the relationship and the reasoning for the uh, earlier date of being around uh, 840 BC, and we talked about that a little bit. How the uh, this whole idea of Obadiah, you've got two prevailing thoughts of of the dating: one in the 500s and one in the 800s BC. And and I gave my uh, understanding on why I believe it's around 840 BC. Uh, there are really likely only two attacks that can be um, uh, talked about here. When we read verses 10 through 14, it refers to the day of their calamity. Verse uh, uh, number 11, and the day that thou stoodest on the other side, and the day that strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them, so forth and so on. And so as you read through this, apparently Israel had been uh, under attack and and Edom did nothing to help, nothing to help. And so there's really only the two different options, the Babylonian invasion of, of 586 B.C., which is where Jeremiah is prophesying, uh, and he's letting his people know that uh, doom is on the way. Um, uh, but... The other would be found in 2 Chronicles 21, and it's where the Philistines and the Arabians came together, and uh, this invasion uh, took place during Jehoram's reign. This was uh, in the uh, uh, latter portion, or maybe, I guess, depending on how you look at it, the earlier portion of the 500s uh, B.C., but the reason I land more uh, around the 800 uh, time frame is because there's no mention in Obadiah here uh, there's no mention of the temple being destroyed. There's no mention of the city being burned. There's no indication following um, that there was something left to pillage. Now, the Babylonians were known for completely destroying uh, everything. They were known to come into a location, they were to tear everything down, and they would completely burn it all. We don't see that here. We don't find that in this. When the Babylonians, uh, Babylonians attacked, there was no mention ever of Edom being involved with that or participating in that. Um, but the interesting thing is at the end of this verse number 10 here, he says, because of the violence that you did against Jacob, thou shalt be cut off forever. Now, this really kind of got me perking up a little bit. And and you know I'm a nerd, and I enjoy trying to find some of the history behind some of these things and learning what's taking place here. But this, you shall be cut off forever, uh, really kind of got me wondering what was going on here. Now, the Edomites, they felt completely unbeatable. You could not get back at me. We looked at this last week with the pride of their heart, those who dwelt in the clefts of the rocks. Uh, However, history reveals that just two centuries after the Babylonian invasion of Judah, Edom was driven out of Mount Seir, completely driven out. In uh, John Davis's Dictionary of the Bible, he refers to the Edomites being driven from Petra westward by the Nabataeans. 
about 300 BC or around 312. Uh, And before the middle of the second century, they occupied southern Judah and Hebron. They began to be known as Idumea. Now, if you were to spend a little bit of time in Isaiah chapter 34 or in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 35, you would find reference to these, this uh, place of Idumea. This is what it's referring to. The Greeks, the Romans, they referred to Edom after it had been relocated as Idumea. Now, it's interesting, and it's, it's important for us to see this, and you'll see where it all connects here in just a moment. But later, the Maccabean family ruled in Judea around 166 to 37 B.C., and they recaptured Hebron uh, under Judas Maccabee. Now, Judas's nephew, John uh, Hyrcanus, uh, conquered all of Edom, and, um, and the region began to be known to Rome as this Idumea, and it became sort of their uh, permanent status. It's, it's similar, if you know much about the uh, European history, you have the Magyar, who became known as Hungarians. Now, you talk to most Hungarians, they say, no, we're Magyar. And they, they knew what their history was and their ancestry. But now in 47 B.C., Julius Caesar comes into the scene and made a man by the name of Antipur, procurator of Judea. Now, this is during the, uh, uh, this, this time of the Maccabean period and everything, kind of coming to a close. And four years later, he was killed, and his son, Herod, gained power. But he was rejected by the Judaites, and with Rome's support, he went at it, and he uh, attacked, and he wanted more power, and Rome gave him the support he needed. And so Herod, the Idumean Edomite, became ruler and king of Judea in 37 BC. Now, we are familiar with Herod, aren't we? We're familiar with this character. Interesting. Now Herod occupies, an an Edomite occupies the throne of Judah. You think that they uh, finally got what they wanted? The rest of the story continues. Herod, because of his final, uh, uh, he finally came to power here, he executed 45 Judean leaders just to eliminate any rivalry to the throne. Then he destroyed Hyrcanus' line so that he could permanently wipe out the priestly line. Finally, he killed Aristobulus, who was the last Aaronic priest. And he married Mariamne, which was Aristobulus' sister and a daughter of a high priest. Have you ever wondered why the temple in Jesus' day was referred to as Herod's temple? Aristobulus' sister, Mariamne, being that she was the daughter of a high priest, uh, it gave to Herod a claim to the priesthood. Now, to to, uh, affiliate himself as the priesthood, not only does he stop there, but he begins to rebuild the temple that was in ruins, and the temple of God became known as Herod's temple from that moment. An Idumean, an Edomite, not only now does he occupy the throne in Judea, 
but he is over the temple worship. He's in charge. Finally, Esau's family clawed their way to where they took what should have been theirs. He was on the throne of God. He ran the temple of worship, and the Herods maintained power all the way through Agrippa I and then into Agrippa II's reign. And Agrippa, Agrippa II being the great-grandson of Herod the Great and sister of the notorious Drusilla and Bernice. He, he furthered the influence uh, uh, of the Asmoneans until the Jewish War, uh, but he... he uh, he fought alongside during the Jewish wars, Vespian, but eventually was run off and died in 100 AD. Now, you may be wondering to yourself, what does all this have to do with anything? Following the death of Agrippa II, there's no more history of the Edomites. They're done. The last mention of an Edomite was this Edomian, the family of the Herods. Look at verse 10 with me. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob shall, uh, shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. Now drop down to verse 18, the, second, the last part of it. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. My friends, what God speaks comes to pass. What God decrees is a guarantee. What God says will happen, will happen. It's a promise. You can see it written in the stars. When God said that he was going to make sure that Edom was wiped out, he made sure of it. Now, here's the problem. A lot of people, they get their, they get their knickers in a bunch because they, they want to, well, that's just not fair. But what I'm hoping that we can see this morning is that God is giving them one final chance. Look at verse number 11, and he starts to explain to them all the different things that are going on. He says, in the day that uh, thou stoodest by on the other side. This standing by on the other side indicates the typical action for them. This was not just a one-time offense. Uh, the, the, the word that is used for stood by is actually um, can be transliterated as a perpetual standing by. You just stand there and do nothing. So it was, it was sort of a normal thing for them, this aloof, uncaring to the pain of their brothers. Uh, as we look at their sins, here's what I want us to understand. Standing idly by while our brothers and sisters are in trouble is wrong. But then he doesn't stop there. He goes even further. He says in verse number 11, uh, stood us by on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. I want us to see that joining in is even more detestable to God. 
Now, what we find here with Edom, and it's very easy for us, if we're not cautious, it's very easy for us to look at Edom and say how horrible of a group of people, how terrible they were, how how sinful they were. They needed to be wiped off the face of the planet. They needed to be gotten rid of. They needed to be taken care of. And as the uh, publican and the sinner and the Pharisee were praying, the publican was saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the publican was saying, I'm glad I'm not like him. Many of us can take a fair sake approach with Edom here. Many of us can look at Edom and we can see how horrible they were and we can see the, the, the list of offenses here and we go, wow, yeah, they were pretty bad people. But here's what I want us to do this morning. Look for yourself in the pages. Look for yourself in the midst of this. Are you following the path of Esau? Notice Strangers, foreigners came and took them away. This is when the Philistines and the Arabians, I believe, looted their brothers. Uh, Yet Esau did nothing to help. Matter of fact, they actually joined in. Look look with me, if you would, back to Proverbs chapter 6. Look at Proverbs 6 with me. Drop down to verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, and feet that be swift in running to mischief a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. I want us to understand something here this morning. God does not take this stuff lightly. The Bible lets us know that he hates them. Yes, hate. I've had people say, oh, you shouldn't hate anything. God is all about love. Love, 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 love. Now, there are things that God hates. And there are things that he doesn't just hate, but it just it, it is detestable to him, and it is an abomination unto him. Don't tell me that he's going to just, uh, you know, that's disgusting and everything, but <laughs> it's okay. No, the Bible lets us know he hates this kind of thing, and it's detestable, an abomination to him. And one of those things are feet that are quick to run to mischief. Oh, 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 something's going on. I can't wait to find out what's going on. Did you hear about what happened to her and her husband? (gasps) Tell me more. Back in the old day, it was the it was the phone would ring, and then you, I'll be right there. Put on the pot. This is going to be a long conversation, right? God is explicit that He hates it when people do this. But notice that last one there in verse nineteen. He says, "A false witness speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren." Among brethren. God takes family very seriously. 
God actually instituted two organizations, the home and the church, those two. And so before he's ever going to get upset about a government falling or raising, before we ever go slapping some bumper sticker on our, uh, on our car so that we can make sure everybody knows about our political stances and what we think governmentally, we need to understand something. God is all for the family, and he is all for the church. Those two are preeminent. Anything that comes to attack the family is an abomination to God. And anything that wants to attack his church is an abomination to God. And we need to take these things seriously. Going back to Obadiah. What we see here in verse number 11, in the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon them, uh, cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. You know, the picture that I kind of get in my mind, it would be comparative as like you were home. Put yourself and your family, your home, sitting down watching television. You're just enjoying an evening with your family, nothing really taking place and some criminals break into your house and hold you at gunpoint. And while they're holding you at gunpoint and taking everything you have, somebody come else comes through the front door to help them, and it's your brother. You see your brother and you think, oh, he's here to help me. And then he starts loading the bag for the robbers. And he looks over and he tells you, ah, hush. This is what it was like. Jacob and Esau were brothers. They grew up under the same home, under the same rules, under the same tutelage. They both understood that God had talked to Abraham and he says, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. Esau knew this. He was raised in it. He understood what was going to take place. But Jacob, when he was given the blessing, Esau's family allowed that bitterness and resentment to dig in so deeply that they hated Jacob and they were happy when everything went bad for him. Look at the next verse. Thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You know, there's actually two ways to translate this word for looked. You can translate it as looked in the past tense or don't do it again. And so more of a future tense with it. This looked as is in reference to the gloating that is taking place. He says even in there, he says, you shouldn't have rejoiced over the children or spoken proudly in the day. So this looking sort of has this idea of looking with, uh, with a gloating in mind, looking with laughter. You shouldn't have done it. But another way of translating that would simply be this. Don't do that. That was wrong. You shouldn't do that. 
You should not do that. I believe God was not only condemning the past actions, but warning for future actions as well. Compare it to uh, to, uh, Jonah and Nineveh. God says, I'm going to wipe Nineveh out. He says, go preach to him. A lot of people wonder if Obadiah is even the name of the writer, or perhaps it's a pseudonym. Perhaps it's just a pen name that that, uh, uh, this man used. Maybe we have another, maybe it's Jonah. And he's like, go warn, you already had me warn Nineveh, now you're going to have, I ain't warning the, well, it couldn't be Jonah, different time frame. But anyway, maybe he was afraid that if, if I write this, they're going to kill me. I know that Obadiah down the street. I'm going to put his name on it. I don't know. Well, what we do know is that when he's writing on this, he is warning Edom of what's to come. And I believe If Edom had heeded the warning of God, things may have turned out differently. But they didn't. They didn't. You ever find yourself looking at the struggle of another with satisfaction? Look there in verse 12, what he's talking about. Rejoicing, you shouldn't have looked on the day of of thy brother and the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Have you ever been uh, talking with someone and maybe they let you know about uh, uh, they let you know about something that happened to someone else? Well, they're backslidden. They got what they got coming to them. Uh, they're, They're lucky that that's what they got and they didn't get more. Well, I saw that coming. I hate to hear that. I hate to hear that. I saw that coming a mile away. Did you say anything to him? Did you talk to him? Did you try to prevent it? Well, no. Then shut up. That drives me nuts. You you mean you knew that this fall was going to happen? You think about it. I know I make people nervous. I make my mom nervous when I get right up on the edge like this. I make my mom nervous. She's like, he's going to fall. Y'all almost saw, saw me take a digger over there the other day. Now, what if I was getting really close, and I, I was getting ready to step, but I was going to miss it? Everyone in here probably just watch, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, I'll wake up for that one. Let's see it, preacher. Somebody might go, whoa. You give somebody a warning, right? You know, we spend an awful lot of time with ambulances at the bottom of the hill. when we could have spent a little bit of time putting a guardrail at the top. A lot of people, they see things coming, but they don't bother to, they don't bother to get involved. They just... Stand by and look. And then they kick them while they're down. And then that person that maybe they were, maybe they were backslidden. They were walking with the world and then finally they hit, man, they nose plant face 
buried deep in the ground. They come crawling back to the church. And what do they hear? It's about time you showed up. Where you been? Been out there playing with the world, haven't you? Mm -mm. Don't kick them while they're down. That's the time where you go help lift them up. You go help bring them back in. Well, that's why I don't, or, well, better them than me. No, no. Look at verse 13 now. It says, Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You see, over and over and over, Different times, God repeats, and he emphasizes the plight of the Israelites. This places a spotlight on just how bad Edom's sin was. It's bad enough that strangers, you look at verse 11, in the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces. Bad enough that strangers, but a brother? Really? Really, Edom? A brother. This is... Reminds me of Paul in 1 Corinthians when he was getting upset at Christians taking one another to court. So you can take the physical or you can take the spiritual brethren here. But here's the, here's the whole point of it is that we should treat one another better. God takes this seriously. He takes this extremely seriously. Notice there in verse uh, number 13, the word looked again is mentioned. Thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity. This word looked is repeated here. How quickly our feet and hands and our actions are tied to where we look. You notice that? It says you looked, and then you got involved. You looked, and then you did. I've had people ask me, I had uh, one dear lady one time ask me, it's been years ago, years ago. She said, uh, she said, I'm having all these nightmares. I'm just wondering if you think that God's trying to tell me something in all these nightmares. Well, tell me something about these nightmares. Oh, probably not God. <laughs> well, where do you think they're coming from? So we just started talking, and I said, so... What do you do before bed? Well, I usually watch some TV before bed. Really? What's your favorite show? Hell's all the, you know, Walking Dead and, and this. And it's just... you, you, don't, you don't have to have a doctorate in philosophy to figure out where the nightmares were coming from. You fill your mind full of that stuff, guess what's going to come out? It's like the guy saying, man, I got a hard time. I, I, I just, I, I, can't, I can't quit cussing. Everything he watches on TV and listens to on the radio is just cussing. Well, no wonder. But I want you to note here what we look into, how what we view, horror, sexually explicit material, disrespectful and snide comments. I'm just sarcastic. Maybe it's because all you do is watch sarcasm. If you're battling being sarcastic, if you're a jerk, maybe you shouldn't watch jerks on TV. 
If, if you have an anger issue, maybe you shouldn't be listening to talk radio. Just saying. Look at verse 14. We're going to start making our way to a close here. He says, Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. Basically, what we're told here is that the Lord, the Lord noticed what was going on. The Lord noticed what was going on. You know, it's one thing to stand and be quick to say, well, tell me more. I want to know the details of someone else's difficult situation. That, that's, that's one thing. But what we find is they took it even beyond the gossip and the backbiting. They took it well beyond that. It says that they cut off the escape. Apparently, those that were trying to escape capture the, uh, uh, the Edomites were stopping capturing them and turning them over. Not only that, it says those, uh, they delivered those. In other words, those who were spared, maybe the military didn't kill all of them. They left some of the people there. Those who were spared, the Edomites went in to get them and deliver them. Here's what we need to get from this. Never forget that you cannot hide evil from the all-knowing one. You can't get away with treating God's children with contempt and malice. You can't. You don't get away with it. It's not that easy. So I want to See if we can see the gospel in this. 1 John chapter 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. Let's see the gospel in all this. Do you not understand that true followers of Christ will shun the life of Esau and pursue a life showing the love of Christ? True followers will do this. I can't help but notice Jesus in all of this. Look look with me, if you would, quickly, and we'll be done into Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13. Look at verse 1. There were present at the, at the uh, season, that season, some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above the Galilean, above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Were those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay. 
But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Listen, Edom, I believe, was given a warning. And I believe it's written in pen to warn you and I as well. Just as Jesus is talking here about these Galileans or those on whom the tower fell, he's saying to them, he says, do you think that they were worse because of what happened to them? You need to address yourself. That's what he's saying. We're so quick to look at Edom and see how horrible they were and forget that the same thing could happen to us. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. I believe Edom is a beautiful picture for us to see that there's coming a day where the justice of God will be revealed. We'll look at that more next week. But the point is not to see yourself better than the Edomites, and oh, thank God I'm not like them, but to examine yourself in light of the Edomites. God hates sin. And then third, bitterness and envy lead the way to Edom. Remember, we looked and there was actually, uh, God actually had told uh, the Israelites, he said, don't be bitter. Don't hate, your, don't hate an Edomite. They're your brother. Don't be bitter against the Egyptians. They let you live there. We've got to learn to follow the example of our Lord and follow the example of the gospel. We've got to live it out. Are you harboring bitterness and envy today? Is there a brother, maybe physically, or maybe spiritually? Is there a sister in your life, spiritually speaking, physically speaking, whatever, where you need to make things right? Who do you need to forgive today? Who are you struggling to release from the debt that you feel they owe you? What bitterness do you need to release? Listen, all bitterness, envy, jealousy, look where it led Edom. No more descendants, cut off forever. Maybe you are here and you just have not bent and bowed to the will of God. I want you to understand something. In Obadiah, the very next verse, verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. Understand that today you are closer to the day of the Lord than you were yesterday. And winking around and saying, thinking everything's okay and let's just sing kumbaya and let's not make any waves is not gonna help anyone. You need to get right with the Lord. Now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, work in our lives. God, I'm not sure who all is here today. Some may be here and don't know you as their personal Savior. 
Some may be here and they know you as their Lord and Savior, but they do not have the right relationship with you that they could have. Father, what I ask, Lord, is that you would work in their hearts, work in their midst, help them, Father. Help them to come to know you. Help them to see you as pure and perfect, high and lifted up, holy, without blemish. Father, that we would be men and women completely given to this truth. And Father, I'd be very careful to give you all the praise and glory for it. Now, God, we come to the portion of the service where we decide what we're going to do with the truth that we've heard. Father, some undoubtedly will ignore your calling on their heart. And some, Father, they'll give in to you. They'll let you break through the ice and the coldness and bring you the glory that you so deserve. So, Father, let us be the ones who are moldable and shapeable. And, Father, I pray these things, believing, as I'm praying them for your son's sake, as he deserves the reward for his suffering. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.